Hello. Hello and welcome to the very first episode of Two Queers, Four Questions. It's a podcast about Jewish counterculture queer... We're figuring it out what, what, what it's about, really. We're it has fi- many names, like God. One of them is listening for the fuck you in the Jewish calendar. Listening for the fuck you in the Jewish calendar. It's still small voice. Before we start, we should do our quick... Not our quick, but we should start and do our land acknowledgement. And just say that I, Agnes, I'm joining here from... Queens on unceded land of the Lenape and Canarsi people. Um, and we're meeting here in cyber cyberspace. Yep, we're doing this over Zoom. I'm Ezra Furman and I'm uh, on stolen land from the Massachusetts and Pawtucket tribes here in Somerville, Massachusetts, where I live. Yeah, um, more on, a a little bit more on uh, indigenous stolen land later. Um, I think we should do a basic introduction of who we are, where we're coming from. My name's Ezra Furman. I'm a songwriter and singer and prose writer, occasional poetry writer. I'm a trans woman and I'm non-binary, I would say. Although the whole gender thing and the labels, it remains a confusing mess of a tangle of words, feelings, and my body. And I am a Jew. I'm, I'm working on Jewish spiritual practice and study. And Agnes, what about you? Well, uh, my name is Agnes Brinsky. I'm a writer and theater maker mostly. I live in Los Angeles, although that's not where I am right now. Um, I'm also a Jew. I'm also trans. I feel like I'm often brimming with thought and emotion. Um, Mm -hmm. And diving into this kinds of questions that we're tackling here has been the great joy of my, of my life of late. Yeah. It's really fun. So what's the idea? Where did this, where did this come from? This is, this was your, this was a a lightning bolt that came from the head of Zeus into your heart. Yeah. How did this? Okay. Yes. Let me just introduce the show, the idea for the show, where it came from. It the moment I started to have a concept of it was um, on Passover. I was I started reading. I was reading this book called "Our Band Could Be Your Life," which is a it's by Michael Azarad. It's it's a celebrated book about indie rock and punk rock in the eighties. And I was reading about bands like Black Flag, The Minutemen, um, Minor Threat, these bands that like created their own ethos and were like 
um, we're going to do music on our own terms and have no contact with the corporate world. And they kind of made, I guess, reading this book and preparing for Pesach, I was like, these bands and punk rock as a as a philosophy which i've held dear since i was a teenager um they just seem to have a lot in common with uh judaism which i love and i've since i was young i've been wondering why when i was a teenager i got both into punk and traditional judaism as the at, at the same time as if they were almost the same thing or went hand in hand with each other, which as I'm sure you'll agree, they're pretty culturally incongruous, but um, I've been working on understanding why they feel like they have so much in common and so much of the same force in my life. I mean, it also feels just like we're in this moment feels ripe with this kind of incredible flowering of queer Talmud study I think of as a lineage coming through Svara. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just seems like there's a kind of an incredible flowering of queer people talking and thinking about Judaism. Yes. Um, and that sort of trying to understand the ways in which the long lost siblings of punk and Judaism are actually deeply related. I mean, there's like a whole sort of forgotten set of family trees. And I feel like this is replanting this forest. Right. Yes, we've both studied at Svara, which is a um, organization for, that's run by queers and for queers and is all about Talmud study with no translations and is like, yeah, I'm feeling that current of, and maybe it's a wider thing in society that um, there are some lefty uh, counterculture artist queer types who are longing for meaning, community, um, lost traditions, things like that. I'm one of them. Uh, And I don't know, maybe a sense that like um, weirdo, non-traditional people don't have to be atheists or don't have to be anti-tradition there might be a lot to recover without um submitting to the anti-queer elements of uh of some of those traditions which i feel like we'll have so much to say on that front yes in the minutes ahead i'm in the months ahead, but maybe we should just talk briefly about what the structure of this thing is going to be. We're using the structure of the holidays. It's the Jewish calendar. There are so many holidays. They come fast and thick in in the fall, and then they sort of slow down, and then they come back quick again. And the thought is um, to do one episode per Jewish holiday and four questions per episode. Um, As you may recall, at the Passover Seder, there is a tradition of the youngest person asking four questions. Um, and we're going to adapt that structure to have four questions for each Jewish holiday. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I'd like to, st- I, I like structuring around questions for, uh, um, for the value of, um, 
wanting to question everything about uh, our society, what we've been, what we've received the, the world around us. That's sort of a punk ethos. And there's Judaism just has a love of questions and arguments and multiple perspectives, um, which just runs through it very thick and is, is sort of the theme of the Talmud. Like a delicious thick paste of machloket, I think is the way it's referred to in a thick culinary paste circles. Of machloket, machloket meaning argument uh, or disagreement. Before we, before we um, really go a, a little deeper into some of the themes of what we're doing and why we're doing it, maybe we should talk about where we're coming from. Jewishly. Great. Um, which I think both of us, maybe we have a strikingly similar background in Judaism. I think we both, we both, both went to Schechter schools. Is that right? We both went to Solomon Schechter day schools. I, so I went through, through um, from kindergarten through eighth grade. I was in a private Jewish day school in the conservative movement, Solomon Schechter. And is that true for you too? Yeah. 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 And then public school for you for public high school. Yeah. Yeah. With same. like a, with like a Hebrew high school after school program. Same. Wow. So like same Jewish education coming up. Although surely many nuanced differences, but um, I, I personally, uh, by the end of eighth grade, I was, very ready to go to public school. I was um, ready to not be in an all Jewish environment and not pray every day and all that. Um, But only a few years later, I think when I was like 15, I, I was like, I just found, uh, Judaism as an adult thing, as a serious thing um, that I would have to do myself and no one was going to make me do. Um, important for me, which I think will come up again and again on, on this show, is that I started... Somebody gave me an anthology of Abraham Joshua Heschel, uh, one of the great thinkers and writers of Jewish thought of the 20th century. And uh, it started to hit me that it, um, there was a lot there for me. I think I was in a, I was in a teenage push to, I guess, be different from my parents who, you know, my parents were liberal Jews. It's sort of the outlier thing that they did that they sent us to a conservative Jewish day school. Our Jewish home life was like, we had Shabbat dinner, we had Passover seders, um, we lit Hanukkah candles. But it wasn't like keeping Shabbat in a traditional way. It wasn't... 
we were our, our we had a kosher home for like reasons of being able to have people over who kept kosher. Um, but we didn't keep kosher outside of the home. So it's like a, I think to some people listening will probably be a familiar, a familiar mix of like, we're Jewish, but it's not like an all encompassing thing. It's sort of like, uh, keeping that thread strong and alive, but, um, not like, wearing a kippah out in the world and not, not uh, being known to be Jewish by all, you know, stealth, stealth Jew. Um, Do you feel- yeah. <laughs> There's more to say, but yeah, I, I guess maybe I want to invite you to give a similar spiel. No, I mean, I, I think there's a lot in terms of that feeling at the end of eighth grade of being very impatient with this Jewish setting and wanting to be out of it, wanting to be in a public school um, I think I always also always felt a sort of tug to like a whole half of my family is Catholic. I think I always felt a tug of loyalty to them that was sort of pulling me outside of oh what seemed like the, we've never talked about this. I just had to break it to you on the half of my family is Catholic. Really? Yeah. <laughs> what? This is a revelation. This is happening right here. Wow. Okay. My mom converted to Judaism, grew up Catholic and. Um, That's well, my mom did not convert to Judaism. But I had, I think the Moyle, who I was the Orthodox, there's a whole ritual thing that I've learned, I think happens when you're a baby so that you can deal with that matrilineal thing. Um, oh, yeah. But my mom has not had covered it, but it's, it's the same. My mom's whole family is Catholic. Mm-hmm. But I think that I felt a lot of, like a lot, it was a lot of like protectiveness of my mother, or like loyalty to that. Um, side of the family that I was that I think fed my resistance to what felt like the sort of self-enfolding world of of Judaism and Jewish community. I mean, I think I always, I think I always had a felt experience of God too, that that was with me from very young. Mm. And I think if you had asked my like 14 year old self, it would be like, I relate to the intellectual and spirituality of Judaism and I like feel very uncomfortable around Jewish community and all the values that reflects. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Because it feels like it pulls me away from the rest of the outside world. Um, But I think, I mean, maybe you will, I feel like I'm jumping forward in the narrative and maybe you'll feel similarly when you, if you continue your story as well, I feel like there's been something about, um, queerness and I think I started to you know like coming out uh inhabiting a space of queerness that I think required slowly unpacking and dismantling so many of the sets of ideas and frameworks that I had been given both through family and through um education about how the world works and who I was and what it meant to be a person in the world which has like been a great dismantling that has continued um since coming out as trans in deeper ways too. And I, I think that, that honestly the coming out as trans has been sort of almost inseparable from developing this deeper and more recent relationship with Judaism. I mean, I think I, I started to, it became clear to me early on that all the things that are part of what we talk about as part of transitioning, like a pronouns and names and body stuff and clothing, all those things are, our technologies that we use mm. and are part of this 
shifting sense of self and shifting way of being in the world. But I think that the ultimate work is work of the heart and a work of the spirit. And I think that that's part of what is, has been so important to me about re sort of spelunking again into these Jewish caves. I mean, I think, I think you, Hmm. it's, it's so particular and, and tied to one's own body, but it's also so much about a whole way of seeing the world and existing in the world. And I think when you start to dismantle so much about the values of the universe and the culture in which you exist, you need a new orientation. You need something, yeah. a new structure. Um, and I think that queer traditions and queer history have provided that for me. And so has, so has Judaism. I mean, I think it's like, um, it feels like the queer thing and the ecological thing is to take what's to hand. And I'm just like, Oh, I have these, all these years of inhabiting these texts and this language, this, this, like the language of these prayers is in my body. And, yeah. Uh, the sound of these words are, are in my in my ear and in my heart. And what if these things that are just like lying around in the in the sort of like the junk house that is my mind, full of all the junk of all the things? Like, what if these are actually the 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 stone that the builders rejected becomes the cornerstone? Like, oh my god! The you know that's the and I guess in that case it's not I'm the queer who rejected the the stone of Judaism from my, as presented to me in my youth, but here I am using it to rebuild my, my, um, my little queer, queer heart. Yeah. So, so do you think that like coming out as queer, and I know that that has had different stages in your life. Um, but do you think that fueled a, a turn away from Judaism? I think, I mean, I think in my, I lived in New York for about 10 years. And I think I always had like little flirtations of going back to Jewish context. And I taught at a Hebrew school. It was one of the first jobs I had in New York. But that just felt like a, it felt like my whole life was compartmentalized. I had the parts of my life that were queer parts of my life and art parts of my life. And then there was the part that was like where I taught sixth grade boys in the Upper East Side about Bible stories. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it was really. I have a lot of things to say about that, but I think that I, it all just felt compartmentalized. And yeah. I think that the, the world of, of home and the world, like going back and visiting my, I used to tell stories in the high holiday services at the synagogue where I grew up in Baltimore. And I, going back there felt like I had to put on a costume of becoming this other person. Oh, the rest yeah. of my life was like left on the side. So that dissonance just gets more intense. I don't know what, but you, I feel like you have for you, like this connection to, Jewish observance and practice was kind of a rebellious impulse from early on as you. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Um, I, well, I, I, I met this kid who was a few years older than me, who was Orthodox and sort of becoming more and, and more intense. I mean, now, now he lives in Israel and he's Hasidic and is very like ultra Orthodox. Um, and I was sort of admiring him. He was a very cool person. He like just, you know, drove me around a lot. Um, and uh, that's not a, is that a figure of speech for something or is that just no literally? no like literally I just was he was uh-huh. dry, giving me rides everywhere and we were in a I Jewish kind of youth group together. <laughs> love that as like so many relationships <laughs> that can be summed up in like <laughs> they drove me around a lot. Yeah know? yeah. That is true. He, it, his personality was a very <laughs> driving thing for me. And I was like, I'm going to do it 
he's doing. I'm going to be um, orthodox, even though nobody else I know is. Nobody wants me to do that. My parents, it freaks my parents out, probably was partly because of that. Um, but um, I, I tried that for really, it was like a couple of years or more in high school. Um, and I was trying to deepen that and I was like, oh, maybe I'll go to a yeshiva when I finish high school. But, you know, in the background, it was all like crashing. I knew I was, uh, wasn't out even really to myself. I wasn't saying I was um, queer or anything. Um, but I felt the conflict. And I also just felt it, it was just very hard to be doing it alone. And all my friends were like, hanging out, uh, um, driving around on Saturdays. And toward the end of high school, I was like, I just can't do it anymore for various combinations of reasons. Um, All this conflict where, like, sort of like you were saying, like, I just felt like there were these two very important things in my life that couldn't be couldn't be above water at the same time being Jewish and being queer. Like just one of them had to, they couldn't breathe at the same time in the same places. Um, And as, as time went on, I was like, well, that's just not really sustainable for me. That's not the road to happiness. Um, so yeah, lots of angst. Uh, and at some point, it, it was also, I mean, I became a, um, a musician, a touring musician. And it, it, sometime in my mid 20s, I started keeping Shabbat again, like I did in high school in this traditional way where um, don't use money, don't travel, don't um, use electricity, and um, it was just, as I had remembered from, from high school, like such a beautiful thing to do, such a liberating, meaningful thing to do. And I, um, I thought I would have to quit being a touring musician if I wanted to really do this every week. And then at some point I started... I just started figuring out a way to never not to not play Friday night shows. And I, I basically, I told my band I was going to, I was going to quit music to keep Shabbat. And they were like, well, we could probably figure something out. Like we could just not play on Friday nights. I hadn't even thought of it. I just hadn't even thought that it could be possible to do that. But that's what I've been doing since, uh, you know, it's been like seven years of that or something. Um, I guess I there's been this dual coming out of like me being someone who's into Judaism and Torah and believes in God and also coming out as queer and trans uh, in various stages. 
and those sometimes fight with each other. But I like part of the idea of this show that we're doing is that they could be partners and they just, they feel like they are supposed to be partners in my life. They are pushing me to create my self and my life and its meaning. And this is not, I mean, it's not to maybe transition a little bit. What this is not just about us. Like it's about this larger set of values and thinking about the world in general. I mean, I think that our experiences are our experiences, but I don't know. I have this memory of, I don't know where this is from. I have a memory of a very tall woman in like a microphone headset saying, and how's that working out for you to somebody about <laughs> who just like represented that some, some difficulty they had in their lives. And I just, I hear that voice in my head all the time. And how's that working out for you? And I sort of feel that about like, capitalism how's that working out for you like this yeah. is you've just been defending this way of being for so long and listed its virtues but like the world we're in is miserable i mean this is sort of like i, I think that there's there's this this hope that that there can be the way we're doing things in this country in this world in this moment feels so um it's just not working out really when yeah. you sort of take a step back and i think that there's I mean, this is tied to what we were said at the beginning about this land acknowledgement. Like we just have to starting to find language and find ways of approaching of chipping away at the sort of like the, the tower, the, the idol as it were of like what the values of our, our world are. And, and there's so much richness that can be like part of the, the survival kit for, for building, building something I was going to say building something new, but it's like rebuilding something very old. Yeah. Well, it's yes. Yes. No, part of my punk orientation to society is um, the very root of, of how we live was started on bad premises. I mean, the very land we stand on was obtained by theft and murder and everything we've been given as the terms of operating needs investigation and healing and repair. Um, And I mean, this is something core that I responded to in the writing of Abraham Joshua Heschel. I mean, so Heschel was a guy who came from a traditional Jewish background, in fact, a rabbinic like dynasty. And he left his yeshiva childhood to go study secular philosophy in European academies. He came from, um, I think it was German. I don't know. I can't remember now which country he came from. Um, and so he was, he was studying secular philosophy and, um, then the Holocaust happened, basically, and his view was that, uh, as he wrote, um, the he, he talked about the tragic failure of the modern mind. Like, um, you know, what I have a I have a bookmark right on this part. This is from the Prophets, a, a book he wrote in the early 1960s, I think. Um, I mean, he writes a lot about it, but 
Every mind operates with presuppositions or premises, as well as within a particular way of thinking. In the face of the tragic failure of the modern mind, incapable of preventing its own destruction, it became clear to me that the most important philosophical problem of the 20th century was to find a new set of presuppositions or premises, a different way of thinking. So he went to the Bible and the prophets and the way, just a different orientation to the world. He loves the prophets because they are like, I mean, the main thing about the prophets is that the, the basic terms of operating are wrong and everyone is habituated to abuses of the poor. It's just a fact of life. That's how every, that's how things work. And the prophets are morally disgusted. It's a calamity. It's a catastrophe. Daily life is like a moral problem. It's, um, and I love it. I just love um, that kind of thinking seems to honor something that I know in my heart to be true. That like we deserve better. People deserve better. I don't want to accept the way things work. I want to imagine a different world. I want to reject um, the abusive world I've been given. There's this word that um, this Anishinaabeg writer, Leanne Simpson, uses this could be Aang, um, to describe the way she defines it as the process of returning to ourselves, a re-engagement with the things we have left behind, a re-emergence and unfolding from the inside out. And I really love... Say the, the word that. again. Say the... The uh, Bisca being is the word. And it, Bisca and being. It, and which I think I'm... I'm not, I've just read her book. I don't know. I've never heard her say it aloud, but um, she has many books. She... Uh, I love the idea that there's, it's like you've been walking along the path and you like realize that something is wrong and you walk back up the path a little bit and see all these things that you've like left by the side of the road. Um, and I feel like there's something quite powerful in imagining this total transformation, but not having to see it. I mean, I think that's, that's how like there has been so much change in how we talk as a culture about queerness and how we talk as a culture about race. And uh, I think that especially on the queer front, there's a way in which it gets attacked as like newfangled, like all this newfangled stuff is just, you just got to give us time to get used to it. Say, mm. I don't know who the people who are saying this are, but I, I, I know I've heard that voice. <laughs> like, and I just think that it's, it's incredibly powerful. And I find it just personally very healing to be able to say it's not newfangled. This is actually quite old. Um, yeah. And to, to be able to have these tools that are, that are so old and so um, thick with, uh, stuff that we maybe haven't been paying attention to. Yeah. Um, it's part of why I've always bristled at being called progressive or calling like my politics or values progressive. I, I mean, I wrote in a song, um, we're making progress, but progress toward what? Um, I, I don't trust progress, I guess. I am, and I also, like you're saying, I, I think a lot of what's needed is recovering um, 
certain ethics and a moral sense that we like already have that we know that we knew we knew when we were children um before we learned about um credit card debt or (laughs) um that was a big day when i learned about credit card debt Oh God, I hate the idea of credit cards. We'll get into we'll I mean, that another time. I think the other thing, just a side of it, though, just to say that I, it really does feel. I don't know if you feel this way. We're in a moment where things really are. There's some huge shifts happening. Things are just like crossing over, just in the way, like the incredible work that Black Lives Matter movement has done and is doing, um, and incredible work that's happening in, on queer issues and ecological issues. Yeah. But there have been people doing these, having these, like fighting these fights and doing this work for so long. Yeah. And I think it, I, you know, I, people, prison abolitionists have been talking and writing about prison abolition for decades. And now it's a thing that's happening on like the New York Times podcast or, you know, it's a thing yeah. that has crossed over. And I think that it's incredibly exciting um, and really does feel like this is a moment where things can change if we keep our hearts clear and 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 steady and i just want to acknowledge how much loneliness there is in this work when we're not in a moment like this i just sort of you know like there's a yeah we're here because they're here and there are so many teachers and leaders and um artists who have been doing the kind of work that we're i think trying to do a little bit of here maybe at a moment when it felt like they were just voices in the wilderness um and yeah so truly, 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 we're here because they're here. The like, whether that's Yohanan and Rachel Akish, or you know, our elders and teachers, people who we have studied with and yeah. learned from, um, that this is a very different kind of work to be doing thirty or forty years ago. Um, For real, lots of giants on whose shoulders we stand. Um, but yeah, so so we're so our themes here are, are, well, one major theme is like Judaism as some kind of, um, having some countercultural potential, potential having it's, it being sort of an alternate vision for society. Um, and I think structuring it around the holidays is not, arbitrary and the Jewish calendar it's not arbitrary because to we've talked about this I think um, that the Jewish calendar suggests an alternate a map of an alternate mind an alternate system Um, you're doing your mainstream stuff your Gregorian calendar stuff well we're over here with our own calendar um, outside of your society that Gregorian top 40 stuff. <laughs> yeah, this is the underground. And, and I mean, I notice that the, the, the Kiddush, the blessing over wine that, that is done on every holiday contains the phrase, Zecher Litziat Mitzrayim. This is a remembrance, a reminder of the exodus from Egypt. Um, and the fact that the exodus from Egypt is so, um, I mean, this is what I was thinking about when I when I was reading that book about punk and thinking about the seeds of this idea for this podcast is um, 
the basis, the the founding event of of Judaism as its own group with its own vision, its own laws, its own values, is leaving a much larger and more powerful society that nearly killed us. You know, getting out of this death factory to make our own um, system. And we mention it every holiday. And just the fact that we have a calendar and have holidays every time is a zecher. It reminds us that we left um, a corrupt world to make a better one of our own, um, where we could be safe and take care of each other. That um, That's my rosy view of of Judaism. I know that like obviously our own problems and oppressions and hierarchies and injustices very, very much do arise. We did not succeed at making a utopia when we left Egypt. Well, if we had what, what we would be sort of bored, what would there be to do? (laughs) I mean, I think the other activity, the theme that feels related to the hearing, actually you talk about that is the smashing idols idea that, that not only are we leaving a larger, sort of hegemonic empire um there's this sense of what are the what are the idols what are the the things to which we pledge our fidelity in the culture we inhabit now uh and how do we remember that the power to which we want to the power the love the force the energy the like the the godness that we want to wed our hearts to and and sort of like uproot all our other loyalties apart from is this God that has no image, this God um, that is a protector of the vulnerable. Um, yeah. It, I mean, you see, I, you, we're, we're interrupting. We're elliptically and, and interrupting. You ahead. texted earlier and said like, I guess we have to talk about God. And I think that's true. I mean, I think, I think God will come up here and there right. in the course of talking about the Jewish holidays, maybe every once in a while. But um, this is sort of a premise that there is this, I think we both, have a relationship to God yeah, and believe that God is God. Is that fair to say? Yes. We, we, we both, I think we both say yes to the question, do you believe in God? Even though that's a, um, I think it's a, it's a bad question, a very unspecific and false binary kind of a question. Um, I mean, maybe this helps orient it because, because I'm mindful of, so many of my friends and loved ones who are atheists and I'm, uh, I understand that you're listening and like, do maybe sometimes in maybe every Jewish conversation, you're wondering like, Oh, so do I just have to accept uh, God as the premise? And like, do I have to be bought into that and just not question it? You don't have to be bought into that. I I, I do want to like, say that we're into it. We're into that language. I think the thing about idols is actually instructive that like, um, I have this book in my hand, um, Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari, who, who I think would identify as an atheist. He's a secular Israeli writer. I feel complicated about the books book. One of my favorite things in it is, um, when humans, when the human brain developed an ability to, invent things that didn't 
actually exist. And they, here's a picture of this um, statue of a part lion, part man that was like a very old idol from uh, 32,000 years ago, discovered in a cave in Germany. It's got the body of a human, the head of a lion, and it was some kind of like things like that were used as symbols to. Um, I mean, okay, he, he he writes. People easily understand that quote primitives cement their social order by believing in ghosts and spirits and gathering each full moon to dance together around the campfire. What we fail to appreciate is that our modern institutions function on exactly the same basis. Take, for example, the world of business corporations. Modern business people and lawyers are, in fact, powerful sorcerers. The principal difference between them and tribal shamans is that modern lawyers tell far stranger tales. Anyway, he goes on to be like, companies are these fictions that like govern and structure our world. They are believed in to exist by our by everybody, or at least by our laws, they're enshrined. And that's sort of the same thing as having gods. And when I think about tearing down idols, I don't, I mean, there are people, I'm sure down the street from me who have idols in their home, who I don't, I I wish, I I have no disdain for their religious life. Um, I I have no desire to destroy those objects. Um, I think I'm talking about like looking at the symbols and fictions that structure our world and rejecting them in favor of a better myth, a a, a God that um, is transcendent of human power and is non-material. And I mean, there's a lot. There's, it's It's the idols within that are the smashed ones. The idols and, so maybe, and like, yeah. And like, um, I don't know, hypercapitalism, like, yeah. Values that society holds that like more money is more valuable than a human life in so many cases. Um, and stuff like that. It's a conceptual idol smashing that I hope for. And that's, I think that gives a clue to, to, how we're ta- what we're talking about when we talk about God. Yeah. Although we could talk about it forever, obviously. Do we have anything else we want to say before we... I think you get the idea of our, of, of our bent, where we're at. We're trying to not tone down any Jewishness and not tone down any queerness. We're like, we're putting it out there, baby. And to me, to me, to be a punk and to and to be a Jew is to be anti-assimilationist. And that's not that's not to say separatist. I want to be in the world and be like really Jewish and really queer and just um, be more of all of the socially inconvenient things about me. All right. Well, let's leave it here. Yeah. Um, thank you for listening, and I hope you can join us on our journey through the Jewish calendar as queer Jewish punks. Yeah, it'll be a lot more fun if you if you come along. Mm-hmm. 
see you for our first proper episode, which is about the month of Elul and preparation for the high holidays. Yeah. Very heavy, very thrilling. Lots of idols to smash. Lots of fuck you to listen for. That little still small voice. Okay. (laughs) Bye. Bye.